Thursday, November 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Uncle Joe Mager. Good to see you guys. Happy Thursday. Hey, Happy Thursday. Uh, boy, we got a lot on our plate. We've got uh, Starbucks making yet another acquisition. We've got some interesting information coming out of Omaha and Berkshire Hathaway in particular. But we're going to start with a couple of big retailers reporting earnings, Walmart and Target. Uh, Walmart, third quarter profit up 9%, uh, but Walmart lowered guidance for the fourth quarter. And Target, third quarter earnings were up 15%. And fourth quarter earnings were forecast to be pretty significantly higher than what analysts had in mind. Let's start with Walmart first, Joe. Uh, shares down about 4% this morning, which tells me... Uh, for Walmart, is massive. That's, yeah, I was going to say, this, really is, is. This, is not a, this is not the go-go growth stock uh, you know, of, say, 1990s tech. So, yeah, for Walmart to be down 4% is a pretty significant amount. Yeah, I mean, sales and earnings came in below expectations. Guidance came in below expectations. When you cut through the noise a little bit, you can see that traffic was disappointing. It was roughly flat. And guidance or traffic in emerging markets especially just fell off a cliff. So in China, was down almost 8%, which is a pretty sizable number down in Brazil. And those are definitely troubling data points if you are basing your Walmart thesis on you know an international growth story, which a lot of people have. I was going to say, we've talked about that before, that if you look at them in the U.S., you want them to be, you shouldn't expect slow them to be- Slow and steady. Yeah, slow and steady, but really the opportunity is overseas. And if that's slowing down, yeah. that's troubling. Well, the problem with the slow and steady, too, is that's the bulk of the business. And back here, results weren't great either. Uh, Same-store sales growth was twice uh, what it was. Target boasted basically twice the same sort of sales growth that Walmart did in the U.S. Grew volume, traffic, and uh, price points. So overall, much better quarter at Target than what we saw at Walmart. And, you know, (laughs) while we're just kind of dogpiling here, another issue (laughs) was that it seems Walmart has walked into some Foreign Corrupt Practice Act's problems again. I was just going to say. Code for bribery. Um, yeah, the bribery investigation, internal investigation that Walmart was undertaking in Mexico, they uh, reportedly, uh, and when I say reportedly, I'm referring to the New York Times, uh, reportedly that investigation has been expanded to Brazil, India, and China. Um, so how much of a red flag – I mean – when I hear the combination, and I'm not a shareholder, but when I hear the combination of sales are slowing, traffic is slowing in international markets, and then I hear, oh, and by the way, we're looking into foreign corruption, potential foreign corruption in those same markets, those are two red flags that have me not at all interested in this stock. Well, I think they're somewhat backward-looking issues. I mean, these bribes... You know, say bribes, potential but, bribes, <laughs> potential bribes, accusations. They're investigating. I, I think it's one thing if it's just Mexico, which was the original problem a few months ago. Right. But now, when you're talking about multiple countries, and these are the big hitters, it definitely makes you think there's a systemic problem here, or at least that Walmart has abandoned any sort of ethos it has in the U.S. And we could argue about that. But you know, basically playing ball in emerging markets on bribery and. 
You know, on the other hand, <clears throat> I'm sure if Tim Hansen was here, who's kind of our in-house global expert, he would say you'd be naive to think that U.S. multinationals don't do some glad-handing in foreign markets right. because everyone else does. And that's uh, just the lay of the this land. This very question was being raised uh, in different media outlets on CNBC, among others, saying, "Hey, look, is is it reasonable to ex- you know, isn't it reasonable to expect that this is going on?" At every level, Bill Mann, uh, also uh, something of an international uh, business expert, talked about his own experience when he was running an international business and being overseas and meeting with people from different countries saying, well, of course you're going to – that's baked into your business plan, right? That you're going to grease the local officials? Yeah, totally. And some companies find it easier to do that than others. And sometimes when you don't play ball like that, it hurts. You know, you look at Google in China, they basically said no to playing along with a lot of the Chinese government's requests anymore. And as a result, they've more or less been shoved out of the country. And now Baidu and you know, a host of other people are moving in on turf that they would have had and dominated. Jason, let's move over to Target for a second. It shares up a couple of ticks today. Uh, seems like a pretty good quarter, and, and maybe even more promising is their own projection for uh, the next quarter. Yeah, it wasn't a bad quarter at all. I think uh, it's a little bit of a different dynamic with Target than Walmart because Walmart is a much more international or global opportunity, whereas Target is is much more uh, tied to the U.S. Uh, economy particularly. And um, so comps were down slightly but still up, and I think that the the real news was that they got it significantly higher for, for the fourth quarter than what the market is apparently expecting. I think Target's looking forward to to a productive uh, Christmas quarter, holiday quarter, and uh, you know, I mean, it, it. We we talk about this a lot. It is a different shopping experience to a degree. I mean, Target has uh, a smaller store base. You know, people talk about the experience. Whether you go to a Walmart or a Target, I personally would prefer to go to a Target over a Walmart. But that doesn't mean one's better than the other. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they're low. They're low cost providing big box retailers, and so. We want to look at the numbers and make sure that the numbers are, are you know, not lying. And, and Target's numbers are good. I mean, over the past uh, five years, revenue is up 15 percent. They've done a good job maintaining uh, their gross margin line, which represents the cost of the goods they're selling. It's it's relatively flat over the last five years. Uh, so I expect that to continue. I, th- I think the biggest uh, the biggest threat out there for your Targets and your WalMarts, regardless, is just that continuing threat of online. Uh, retail, and we know that Amazon is the biggest player in that space, and that's going to continue to be a threat for a long time to come. What about their own online operations? Do 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 you get the sense that either one of these companies is obviously they have their own websites, their own shopping experiences, ratings, all the all the sorts of things one would expect? But do you guys get the sense that either company is really trying to make a big push with online? Yeah, really. Walmart is. They're doing a nice job of syncing up the stores that they have, like real-world physical presence with what you can buy online. And you can kind of combine those in a unique way that Amazon can't. That said, and, you know, to their credit, Walmart is huge. They're they're logistics experts, and they have intense buying power. So there's no reason that, conceptually, they shouldn't be able to offer very competitive prices relative to Amazon. It's just a matter of can they get consumers to switch over to them. They're definitely late to the party on making that happen. And you know, Amazon is a very difficult competitor. I mean, yes, Walmart has, you know, a great selection and, and user reviews, customer reviews, but definitely not in the depth or breadth that Amazon does. So all things equal if you're choosing between the two, you know, why 
buy from Walmart, even at the same price point, if you're already a customer with Amazon. Uh, both stocks, despite their movements today, both stocks beating the market over the last year. Uh, what do you think of the valuation of each one, Jason? I'll just start with you with Target. I, I, I'm a little bit wary of these big box retailers going uh, going forward, and it's it's simply because of the the base of the model is is just the the low cost provider, and so we always know they're going to maintain these razor thin margins, and and to top it off, they're going to have to maintain these these big store presences. Uh, I think the interesting opportunity for Target does exist in international expansion, uh, but with that said, I think I would rather place my cards in the online retailers that are already dominating that that market. And so, Amazon's one certainly that that uh, I would I would choose over a Target or a, a Walmart. Joe, what do you think of Walmart? Obviously, it's a little bit cheaper today than it was yesterday. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. It's still selling at around 14 times this year's earnings, which I think is a a fairly full-bodied price for a company with as low a growth growth profile as it has and considering the challenges with online retail coming in, not just with Amazon, but everyone else in the space fighting. Starbucks is buying Tivana Holdings for $620 million. Tivana has about 300 stores, mostly in malls. Uh, and Jason, I should point out shares of Starbucks down just slightly, down about 1% on this news. We've seen Starbucks make other acquisitions uh, with Bay Bread and La Boulange. Um, what do you think of this acquisition? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't read anything into the the share price movement. I mean, we see them the share price go up and down whenever you know any kind of news comes out. But I think the bottom line for Starbucks investors is that if you have a, a long term uh, holding as far as Starbucks stock goes, I think investors have to really like this acquisition. I mean, it is, it's a good acquisition in the sense that it is very much in the wheelhouse that a Starbucks management and the company is very familiar with. I mean, they, they said in the call that they were particularly enthused by this because it is something that they're so familiar with already. They're essentially going to do for tea what they've already done for coffee. Uh, and there, there's reason to believe that they will be able to pull this off because they've already done it to a degree with uh, Tazo Tea, which they you know bought. I, I, I don't know when they bought it. I think it was back early, maybe 2000 or something. But it was essentially like a 7 to $10 million acquisition. They've turned it into a billion-dollar-plus uh, business. And when you look at the popularity of tea as a beverage – the number one consumed beverage in the world is water, and, and number two is tea. Uh, so there is a tremendous market there. They they stated a, a potentially forty billion dollar market opportunity that's growing at double digits annually. So uh, I think they the acquisition of Tivana gives them three hundred great locations in those prime high traffic mall locations where you see those Tivanas to get this started. And they're going to develop a new loyal customer base from this, establish that relationship like they've done for so many years with coffee consumers, and uh, just another link in this long chain of of their quest for world domination, I suppose. Joe, shares of Tivana Holdings were trading around 10 bucks, and Starbucks bought Tivana Holdings at fifteen fifty per share. So as a longtime shareholder, I have to ask, did they overpay? Yeah, I actually don't like this acquisition. I think it's... For the price or just in general? Either. I think it's a high price tag. And when you think about Starbucks, like when I think of the meat and potatoes value prop of their business model, it's everyday customers like you and me walking over there getting coffee. Tivana is not an everyday 
shopping experience. Uh, when you go in there, I mean, you're buying tea, not like consumption usually, but the average ticket. I was going to say, like, I've never been to one. So what is the customer experience when you go? Is it just loose leaf tea, like hanging it's around loose in leaf barrels? Tea, it's loose leaf tea and accessories. I mean, that, that is a very fair point. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a place where you would normally go, I think. The only time we would ever go is if we're in a mall, actually. I mean, it's just because we're at the mall and yeah. T-Von is there. I mean, the average ticket's $40, just mm-hmm. to give you some perspective on how different a mix it is. And they're all in malls, which, again, it's not like Starbucks doesn't already have a presence in malls. They already sell tea. They have the Tazo brand at Starbucks. So I don't know you know, what they're looking to achieve here. Are they going to try and roll out more Tazos outside of malls? I, I don't know that the world really needs that at this point, and I don't know that that's squarely in Starbucks' wheelhouse, and it just kind of seems like they're giving themselves a little more permission to be, you know, they keep boosting the dividend to their credit, but with all the excess cash flow, they're just making some acquisitions that are definitely on the non-core side to me that, you know, it's tough to argue with in the grand scheme of things, but not really a strong defensible buy. I was going to say, because we, we talk all the time about companies making acquisitions, and some companies have better track records than others. It seems like Howard Schultz has a pretty good track record overall in terms of not just the acquisitions that he's made when he's been at the helm of Starbucks, but the way those have been implemented. This one, though, I mean, to, to Joe's point, Jason, it seems just a half step, even though it's tea, it seems just like a half step off base. Potentially, and I think if you look at it just from the domestic market, that's a fair point, but I think we have to look at this acquisition more from the international implications. And the only reason I say that is yesterday after after the announcement came out of speaking with Les, uh, Leslie Patton at Bloomberg, and we were talking about the potential international implications of this acquisition, and we know uh, from from interviews with Starbucks that they have joint venture partners in China and India and the Middle East who are already very excited about the the prospect of what this acquisition will will do for the international presence. So in tea-based cultures like China or in India, I think that we're going to see this pick up a little bit more traction potentially than maybe the coffee uh, presence is picking up. And, and it's not to say that, that coffee is not spreading like wildfire over there either. But I do believe that looking past just the domestic implications of this, the international implications are also very uh, robust. And so like you said, I mean, they, they tend to make acquisitions wholeheartedly and do a lot with them. I don't, I don't expect anything less with this one. It's going to be a long story that I think ultimately will just give them another avenue for growth, and we'll see that over time. I think in five years you get a write-down on this. <laughs> yeah. Potential. Really? Yeah. Potential. Not the whole thing, but I think there will be a very quiet writing-down $300 million and goodwill on this acquisition. Let's assume we're not necessarily doing market foolery in five years. I know that may be <laughs> shocking to some of our dozens of listeners, but but when do you think we're going to know? What's going to be the first indication? Or or when should we expect the first indication? Is it six months down the line? Is it a year from now? When do you think we're going to have our first inkling of whether or not this is on its way? When they stop talking about it. <laughs> so in a, in a year, like four or five quarters out from now, when it kind of stops coming up in regular conversation. And then Daniels is like, hey, what's going on with Tivana Holdings? So yeah, like, you know, we're the, streamlining the, and looking for some opportunities. We're excited about the team we've got over there, and we think International has a big growth run. <laughs> the first earnings release where you don't see this as its own segment, you know, where they talk about the Americas and Middle East and Asia. I think the first earnings release where we don't see this getting its own <laughs> 
spot, uh, we we may want to take and a second look relegated to, see, to, you know, to see if it's really working out. The, the uh, Joe Maker's favorite magazine, Joe, the short-lived <laughs> Starbucks magazine. Uh, yesterday, Berkshire Hathaway filed regulatory form 13F with the SEC. Kids, come quick. They're talking about Woo, SEC yay. regulatory forms. Uh, this is the form that discloses changes to Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio. And Joe, uh, what's getting the headlines today, uh, obviously there were a bunch of changes that were made, but the fact that Berkshire Hathaway picked up nearly 4 million shares of Deere and company. What do you make of that? I think it's interesting. And when you look at Berkshire's 13F, you kind of have to to parse through the numbers a little bit. So some of the moves are Warren Buffett-driven, and you can tell that those are the huge portfolio moves. So Johnson & Johnson, uh, which they basically blew out up, sold off almost the entire stake, that was Buffett. He controls the car keys. But some of the smaller positions, more along the lines of Deere or GM or Visa, are ones that are being pushed by uh, Ted Weskler and Todd Combs, who are his two kind of understudies who have been brought in, and they're progressively being given more money to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, it's around $4.5 billion a piece, which is, a, for anyone else, a pretty sizable <laughs> chunk of money. But at Berkshire, where you got $48 billion in cash, you know, it's like giving the kids a little bit of money to spend at the ice cream stand. Uh, <clears throat> I think that Deer is interesting. It recently popped up on my radar. It's a great industrial company, and industrials have been hit hard recently. From the looks of it, they got a, a decent price on it. I think this wasn't a Buffett buy. It was one of the kind of understudies, but I have a lot of respect for both those guys, and I'm definitely interested to see what they're buying. What do you make of the Johnson & Johnson move? Because uh, I'm, I'm wondering if that's Buffett just sort of saying, well, we think we have a better place for our money, or if it's him essentially saying, I'm done with this company. He both. I think it's largely that they find a better place because Buffett definitely thinks in terms of opportunity cost. But he has been very critical of management at a few key holdings over the last few years. So Kraft, Procter & Gamble, Johnson Johnson. In fairness, they've all executed very poorly and just had their yeah. lunch eaten by competitors. And he has backed off each of those positions and been very clear publicly in as much a way as Buffett will trash people in public. You know, he's very genial man, but yep. he'll be pretty upfront that he's not happy with management there. And J&J has just had a string of very big issues over the past couple of years in terms of execution, which suggests they've got some cultural problems around product quality. Um, the stock recently bounced up to 70 bucks, which is like a four-year high. So he probably just thought, you know what, this might be a good time for us to piece it out and put money to work elsewhere. Jason, what stood out to you when you, when you looked at all the moves being made? That... Nothing really stood out. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, quarter by quarter, I, I I can't say that I really am terribly surprised he doesn't do it. It'd be, I think the biggest surprise for me was the purchase of Oriental Trading Company. I mean, and that was something that we found out a couple of weeks ago. Right, Typically, yeah. his 13Fs don't surprise me very often because he invested in those same Buffett-style companies. And so there's no real surprise there. The Oriental Trading Company purchase was a surprise to me. And being that I cannot seem to get off their catalog list and my mailbox is just one after another after another, and they just go from my hand to the recycling bin. Uh, Mr. Buffett, if you're listening, this might be something to take into consideration with Oriental Trading Company. Stop sending catalogs. Would it kill you to buy a couple of rubber ducks? That's all That's all they're saying at Oriental Trading. Just buy a couple of, you know. You know, the problem is, Chris, with two young daughters, we've already supplied about 10 birthday parties in total with stuff from Oriental Trading Company. And no wow. wonder you're getting all their catalogs. They love you. And I'm not ordering any of it. So, <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, that was probably the biggest surprise for me. Uh, Joe, 
when you see something like this, I mean, as we talked about, there are there are moves that are made. There are sort of little uh, minor allocations here and there. But when you see a company all of a sudden showing up in in this manner, where Deer is all of a sudden it's four million shares, and again, keeping into account how much money they're playing with, but still four million shares of Deer, it leads someone like me who does not own shares of either Deer or Berkshire Hathaway to put a stock like Deer now on my watch list. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. These guys, each of them has proven they're very smart, successful, long-term, value-oriented investors. And I definitely would be mindful of anything they're buying or anything they're selling. They certainly have a good rationale. And that said, I think it's a good jumping-off point for further research, but you should definitely do your own homework come to your own conclusions. I don't agree with every move that Buffett makes for sure. And granted, he's much smarter than I am and has a phenomenal track record to prove it. But you should definitely you know, look to smart investors as jumping off points to inform your own thinking and decision making, but come to your own conclusions. So you said earlier you were starting to look at Deer anyway. Does this get you to click the buy button or does this just is this one more reason for you to do further research? Uh, one more reason. I mean, I think Berkshire's stock itself is super cheap. You know, it's only selling about $3 above the price at which they've said they'd buy back stock and that's 82 bucks. It's at 85 today and I think it's worth somewhere in the ballpark of 110. So, given that range of outcomes and you're talking about a growing intrinsic value, you know, on top of that margin of safety, I definitely think that's the first place I'd look. Uh, We'll end with a programming note, which is we will be back, of course, on Monday, but only on Monday because next week is Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and uh, we will be taking a couple of days off. So we'll be here on Monday. Save your hate mail. Radio at fool.com. You know what? You can send the hate mail if you want. Uh, We'll take it. (laughs) We can handle it. Yeah, we're big boys. We can take it. Uh, Jason Moser, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. (laughs) 